This episode of the RPG Academy is brought to you by GMLoot.com, because GMs need loot too. Hello and welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. This is Table Topics, episode number 76, Are You Feeling Lucky? I am Michael, and I have brought along with me, as I always do, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing tonight, sir? Eh, I'm doing okay. I wouldn't say I'm rolling a 20. I wouldn't say I'm rolling a 1. I'm somewhere in the middle. Somewhere... In the middle. And that's a good place to be most of the time. Most of the time. Extremes are, are what get you caught. The people that are very front, very back, those are the targets. The people in the middle, they're covered by the masses. It's like how uh, zebras protect themselves in the uh, Serengeti Plains. I'm making shit up now. Hey, I was, <laughs> I was willing to back you up and, and start going, so that was all on you. Awesome. Well, we are going to talk about luck tonight among... Several other things, but primarily we're going to talk about the ideas of maybe using a luck stat in your D&D game and maybe talk about the way luck could be or is used in some other games. But before we get into the topic, we want to take a step back, as we always do, and talk about while we're here. Now, Caleb and I try to use these table topic episodes to sort of share some of the wealth of knowledge he and I have gleaned over our many years of playing RPGs. But we understand that the opinions we share or the advice we give is not going to be applicable in every situation, every table, every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Caleb, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing or what system or edition or what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, you're playing it right. So with that in mind, we're going to move on and talk about a couple of announcements that we just want to talk about, some quick things. Uh, we're going to get into our topic about luck, and then we're going to wrap up the show with three brand new five-star reviews on iTunes. So thank you guys very much for that. So the first thing we want to talk about, um, shocker, a catacon. What? A catacon. Wait, what? I d exactly. One more time. A catacon. Oh, a catacon. Oh, there we are. Yeah, a catacon. Okay, so... We are super excited about this. At least I know I am. Hopefully uh, Caleb is, and hopefully you guys are as well. We've been talking about it on Facebook and on Twitter and G, uh, Google+, Plus, so you may already know, but if you're not into those social media things, you may not have heard. But a catacon is going live this year. It is, uh, this will be the third time that we've done a catacon. The first two were in my basement. They were very small affairs. Uh, we have decided that we want to make a catacon open to the public, and we are going to try to start our own regional convention. So Caleb and I have pulled our resources and we have rented out the Houston Lodge. And there'll be a link in the show note because it's not spelled the way you think it is, uh, which is a, a really nice lodge not far from my house here in Cincinnati. And uh, we got a very nice deal on the rooms, or not the rooms as, as in uh, sleeping, but in the actual like convention center because it's going to be very much off-season. It's going to be November 13th, 14th, and 15th, and uh, we are going to make this open to the public. There will be a small fee for people to show up. 
and we're probably going to use Kickstarter to one, use that as pre-sale. So we have the money in hand Two, we know how many people are showing up and three, try to raise some additional funds to do some other things with it. So Caleb, what is the most exciting thing in your mind about a Catacon going live this year? Uh, the most exciting thing to me about a Catacon this year is not inviting a bunch of strangers into your basement <laughs> because that's just asking for a lawsuit. Mm, maybe, but it was a lot of fun though. Oh, it was a blast. Uh, I, I think, uh, honestly here, the fact that we have found such an outstanding location where we can expand, we can have a lot more people. Uh, we won't be so cramped and crowded. We can spread out and really enjoy the games we're playing is the heart of what any gaming convention, but specifically a catacon is all about. Um, we've really built a nice little foundation of, of listeners and uh, friends of the show uh, at this point and giving everybody a chance to say, hey, let's come hang out at this big open neutral grounds kind of place. Let's play some games. Let's relax. I mean, guys, this place is on a uh, state park. This is going to be really cool. Um, check out the website in the show notes. It looks slick. It'll be fun. Michael has been there, so he can vouch that it really is what it looks like in the pictures. We're not going to have a, a hot tub time machine moment where the memory <laughs> is drastically different than the reality. Um, so this is going to be a real good time. There are places to stay on site. Uh, there's a bunch of lodge rooms, which are essentially fancy hotel rooms. There's a bunch of cabins within... I want to say walking distance, but I was on the website and some of them are about a mile away from the lodge itself. So it depends on how much we want to buck the gamer stereotype. Uh, but one site, we're going to be there. It's November. It might be chilly, so we probably don't want to plan outdoor stuff, but you never know. We might get frisky. This is going to be really cool. All of this, please understand at this point when you're listening, is still a little bit up in the air. We're still finalizing the details. We're still putting together the cost of tickets, although it's going to be dirt cheap. We're putting together the cost of the swag, which is going to be awesome. We're finalizing how we're going to schedule games and meetups and that whole thing. So this is all a work in progress. Please stay tuned. Michael has been going crazy putting stuff up on uh, Facebook and Twitter. So pay attention to all of that, but take it with a giant grain of salt. As we start to finalize everything, we will let you know exactly what's happening. We are most likely, as Michael said, going to launch this through Kickstarter, primarily so that we can get an idea of who exactly wants to come, who's committing to coming, and so that we can gauge how crazy we can get with making this an awesome weekend. And we really want to make it an awesome weekend just to hang out and celebrate the hobby and have fun with all of you. So stay tuned, uh, hang out, and uh, start trying to plan. I mean, it, it's November 13th through 15th. That's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's pretty far in advance, so it'll be after con season. We should be able to start putting some money away for it. Um, hit up their website through the show notes. Give them a call. Check on room pricing and everything. If we can start putting together who wants to room together, who wants to bunk up, we can certainly do that. I'm sure as we start to finalize things, maybe on our brand new RPGacademy.com forums, we can put together a who wants to share a room, who wants to travel together kind of thing. But again, that's all up in the air. So uh, we'll figure it out. 
Yeah, absolutely. And again, we'll, we'll move on uh, quickly here, but the key points I want people to, to understand is that um, we are charging a, a ticket price and we don't know what that's going to be yet, but I, I have a dollar figure in mind, which I really hope that we can stick to. Our goal is not to make any money off of this convention, at least not this year. As I've said before, in the future, I would love to make this profitable to the point that that's all I have to do, that I can run this convention and do podcasting and RPGs all the time. But you know, that likelihood of that's pretty small. But any money that we raise beyond what we need is gonna get rolled back into the show, either to help buy better swag that we're gonna give away, uh, or to start building like a board game library so that we can um, have more games available for people to play, or to be able to start giving badges away to people like special guests or people who volunteer to run games for us, GMs, that kind of thing. So there will be no money in any pockets in this particular adventure. So if, the fact that we're charging money is basically the minimum we are gonna put on Kickstarter is the minimum that we need to not lose any money. That's our only concern when money's involved is that Caleb and I don't have to lose any money to do this. Anything extra is gonna get rolled back into uh, the program either for this year or next year. And the last thing I'll say is because of the venue that we got, we do have a hard limit on the number of people that are able to attend. Um, you know, the minimum that we need is like 50. I think somewhere in there roughly for us to break even. The most that we can have is 240. And I actually think that's probably gonna be too many because of the way the tables are set up. I would say about 200 is probably the top that we would be able to accept. So if you are interested in going, it would be very helpful if you could tell us now rather than later. Uh, you can do that a couple different ways. One, just email us or tweet us. But better than that, if you go to our Facebook page, I have set up an event and you can just click on the event that yes, you're coming, no, you're not, or maybe you will. That would be super helpful. Or as Caleb said, go on to our forums and we have an Akatacon forum thing. There's nothing in there yet, but you could say, hey, I'm coming, I need a roommate. Or hey, I'm coming, I need a carpool, that kind of thing. Of course, that being, that being said, hitting up one of our social media avenues or dropping us an email is certainly not a commitment on your part. Uh, this is not a ticket right. presale yet. We haven't gotten there. Really, to be honest, guys, peek behind the curtain. Michael and I are really going crazy, um, talking to a lot of people, calling a lot of people, doing a bunch of stuff online, researching how we want to make this happen. We are absolutely, honestly trying to keep this as cheap as possible, but still give you guys a really cool experience. So when we're asking to pony up a little bit of cash, it's just to cover the cost of what we're doing. It's all going to come back to you in the end. Uh, when we're saying, hey, just give us a nod on Facebook or Twitter or email that you're thinking about it, literally that's all we're asking for, just to so that we can try to have a frame to work in as we're going towards the Kickstarter and finalizing a price and talking to people about t-shirts and badges and stickers or buttons or anything crazy like that. So when we say, hey, just give us a, a, a yes, no, maybe, it really, really, really does help a lot. Um, and hell, if you have any suggestions for something you'd like to see at the con or some swag, or some uh, a company you've worked with or seen sponsor another local con, send them our way. Drop us a link, drop us an email, put us in contact. I, I think it's safe to say that a lot of what we have done at the RPG Academy is very, very audience involved. And if you're willing to step up and help us out or speak up or give us some information, we'll make it worth your while. And you'll definitely be included in the family here. So 
absolutely share. At least tell us if you're coming. And uh, again, as we solidify everything with price and facts and figures, you will be the first to know on the show, on the Facebook, on Twitter, or on Google+. Trust me, you guys will be tired of hearing about a catacon long before we get there because Caleb pretty much already is. Yeah, I'm sick of this whole thing. I think I might cancel it. (laughs) Shut your mouth. Okay. So let's move into sort of the heart of uh, of today's episode. This is a topic that I've been, it's just kind of been in the back of my head for a while now. And I don't even, there was something that, sp- that spurred it, but I don't remember now what that was. It's all about luck, specifically having a stat that you use for your character uh, that, that represents how lucky they are. Now here I'm talking about Dungeons and Dragons and then 5th edition specifically. So this would be like a house rule that you'd be adding some sort of luck number to your character sheet. And so just sort of spitballing here because Caleb really didn't know what we were talking about five minutes ago. Some ideas of how you could do that, uh, why you would want to or why you wouldn't want to. And then maybe some examples of other games because I know I have played in other games with luck in them, but I can't think of them right now. None of the ones I've played recently. I can't remember if things like GURPS or, or maybe even like the old Marvel game did. Uh, but we'll start general before we get into some of my ideas. But So, Caleb, you, what are your general thoughts about playing it in a system that has luck? Or, or can you give some examples where you have done that? Well, let me start with an example where I have done that. Back when I was learning to play Dungeons & Dragons in the 3.0 era, RGM made up a luck stat. And I... I'm trying to remember what it was. I think he... It might have been set up like a, a regular stat, so it might have been 3d6. Um, it might have been a percentile-based thing. We rarely ever used it, though. However, occasionally he would say, what's your luck stat? Or roll for your luck. And whatever mechanic he made up would be, uh, you know, you try to roll under or over or hit it or, or something like that. Or I might be completely making this up, so my apologies to that former GM if he ever happens to listen. Uh, he may have done it as a kind of standard 3D6 stat, and whatever modifier that was, according to the standard D20 modifiers, he may have let us add that in certain situations uh, based on the rolls and what was happening. I don't remember caring about it, so I don't think it really mattered that much. Uh, So that was just a personal experience of a house rule. I know that there are several systems that have luck, quote-unquote, as a core uh, stat, a core mechanic. I believe some of the D10-based Call of Cthulhu's use it. I think L5R uses it. Uh, I want to say Shadowrun and various similar sci-fi cyberpunk games use it, but uh, I don't have experience with all of those. But, you know, I'm too lazy to do a Google search for what's out there. Yeah, pretty much. That's the that's the level of uh, experience and professionalism that you can come you've come to expect from the RPG Academy. Well, plus you told me about this five minutes ago. So that's your that's on you pretty right much. now. Uh, OK. Well, you know what? Your job here is to roll with the punches and, and to sum things up. And I'm rolling, so we're we're good. <laughs> so here's kind of my thoughts. And, and I think me and your former GM are somewhat along the same line. So my first thought is I like the idea of someone that is very lucky and allowing that to be something that's very important to their character. 
but I'm not sure that a Lux stat would be the best way to go about that. Maybe some sort of other feature, uh, background, uh, a background, a trait, a quirk, something that that allows them to represent their luck uh, more narratively so the DM isn't caught or trapped by it. But I also like the idea of it being a stat. So the, the first two things that come to mind for me would be uh, much like what you said is you would just roll luck as a stat, just like any other, or if you did point by, you would increase uh, the number to account for the fact that you have an additional stat uh, or, you know, standard array, that type of thing. And then you have the option, like there'll be some sort of mechanical thing in place. So let's say that you ended up with a luck stat of 15, which is what, a plus two in D&D 5e terms? Yes. And let's say that there's a time where you want to use your luck. You can either either add the plus two in place of one of your other modifiers. So for this role, normally I would use intelligence, which for me is zero. But instead, I'm going to use my lucky, so I get my plus two. Or you could use that on top of your additional stat. Like I'm really strong. I got a you know 17 strength. That's normally plus three. I'm going to use my lucky on top of that, so I get plus five for this role. But you would have to make that very limited there's there could only be a couple of those at a time um, you know maybe they're like bennies or inspiration that you get so many uses maybe it's just once per session that's it uh, so it's you know it's powerful but it's limited enough that it's not going to be overused the other thing i was thinking of is you would have it as a stat but it, this would be like old school uh first edition ad and d type of thing where you want to roll under it so you would the higher it is, the more likely you are to be successful. And then every time you use it, it drops. So you know if you're pressing your luck, you use it as often as you want, but every time you succeed, it's just going to get harder. And then there's some sort of crazy penalty when you eventually fail and go and roll higher. And I like that probably. I don't know if that's the most mechanically sound, but it makes the one. It's the one that makes me smile when I think about doing it. So what do you think about either of those two? Okay, so before I give you my idea there. And our listeners are probably already saying this, but it should be noted that in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, there is a luck feat. So before anyone responds or replies or says, why aren't you just using that? We know it's there. We're talking about on top of that or in addition to that, or maybe you just choose not to use feats in 5th edition. That's fine because 5th edition... They are optional. Yeah, they are technically optional, and I'm, I'm sure some people don't use them. Also, the luck feat itself is very limited, so this might be something based off of that. Hell, it could be once you take the luck feat, this replaces the mechanic or is on top of the mechanic. I mean, there's a zillion different ways to answer this. Going back to your two ideas there, Michael, I like the idea of have it being a standard modifier that you can use instead of or in addition to. However, that does need to be pretty severely limited. Either it needs to be a certain number of times, or it needs to have some sort of consequence. Like, for example, um, it costs a hit die to use it. Because essentially, uh, you're in this context, you're representing an extending of some sort of resource, and that has to be managed. Uh, you, could be, you could argue that luck is a separate entity, that impacts your regular stats. You could also argue that luck represents that pure moment of clarity on the battlefield where you see that perfect 
instance of an attack or a perfect thing to say in a conversation. And with that definition, uh, it, you could say that luck represents expending your personal stamina, your personal drive in a new and unique way. So linking it to your hit dice, which would then be taking away potentially your healing and potentially some of the other abilities and spells that require hit dice, that would kind of manage itself out right there. I do also like the idea of it being a set number that you need to roll under that feels a little bit like sanity from the classic D20 Call of Cthulhu system. My initial hesitation on that is that there's nothing else in 5th edition like that. So we are essentially introducing a new rule for the sake of introducing a new rule. It's not organic. It doesn't fit with any other mechanic that's currently there. But that is the very definition of a house rule. So in general, I don't have a problem with it. However, with any kind of house rule, you want to make sure you explain it clearly to your players and your players and that your players are on board with it. I like the concept of rolling under your luck to do something and it going down by one or two every time you do that. I mean, you could go as crazy as, you know, hey, if you want a plus one, it goes down by one. If you want a plus two, it goes down by two. And maybe you cap that at no more than five. I mean, that's potentially a game breaker right there. So again, you really want to limit it and be careful and think about your players and how it's going to impact your game. If we hearken back to the D20 Call of Cthulhu, sanity was five times your wisdom score. So uh, if you did something like that in current 5th edition rules, 5th edition also generally has lower stats to start out with. So that would cap that resource already. Um, let's say you capped it at you can't go more than three on your roll. So you roll under, you have to roll percentile dice, 2d10s, get under that number. If you do, you can get a bonus to your roll of anywhere from 1 to 3, but then you subtract that number from your current luck pool. You can do it as much as you want and burn through your luck, but you're making it harder for yourself every time you do it. It's a self-governing system. Uh, you can easily see the resource on your character sheet to manage it, the downside is it's one more thing to manage on top of everything else you're doing at the table. Ugh, there's pl there's positives and negatives to the system, no matter what we talk about. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things where with my DM hat on, I would rather, if someone wanted to like, they're just, their, their idea of their character is, I want to be a character who's super lucky. I just think that would be fun. And actually, what what comes to mind, and uh, you probably will know this, isn't there a Darkwing Duck episode where that happens? It's like somebody finds a coin and they're super lucky all the time, but then they lose the coin and they're super unlucky. Uh, well, Scrooge McDuck's first ten cents that he made from Ducktales is what you're thinking about there, and in his huge, gigantic dive into the pool of gold coins vault, he had his first dime. And it was super, super lucky, and people were always trying to take it. God damn, I don't realize that I knew that. Wow. <laughs> uh, do you know how cool I felt the day I realized that Drake Mallard, like what that meant when I watched Darkwing Duck? I was like, oh, I get it. Drake Mallard. All right, I'm with you. His name's Duck Duck. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty <laughs> much. He's Duck Duck. 
<laughs> so the tangent. Tangent. But anyway, so the the thing is, I just I like the idea of that as a concept. Like that's who my character is. They're they're just really lucky, and I can see that being really fun or funny. But it's also the type of thing that's going to make your character too central, and probably make them the star of the show. And from a from a novel or short story, that could be interesting. But from a game, I'm afraid that they would over overstate or outshine too many other players, or that it would come up too often. So I think I think at the end of the day, I probably would steer away from using it as a stat. But I still like the idea of of it maybe as like a one shot, maybe something I might try just to see how it works out. And I would, you know, again, as I like to do, I throw it to the audience. Is anybody out there using luck in this sort of way or have in the past? Or if there's a game that we didn't mention because we didn't think of it that uses luck, uh, let us know. I know that Legend, Legends of the Five Ring does uh, because I had the opportunity to play that recently, as did Caleb. We, uh, we got to be guests on the One Shot podcast, which those episodes have not aired yet. It's possible there's something wrong with the recording and they, they will never never air, which will crush my spirits because that was such a fucking awesome game but those are supposed to be out somewhat soon and, and you'll you'll get to see how luck and how it interacts in that game uh, but i did throw this out on twitter and we had one response and this is from nerd billy deluxe he's one of our newer friends of the show and he mentioned that he does use luck in his games or he has in the past and they basically use it sort of like what we talked about they they would roll it as an additional stat where they'd roll 3d6 or 46 drop the, the lowest one uh, and what he uses it for is it's a way to affect the crit range that a character has and i think he talked about this is is like in 3.0 or 3.5 where you could have feats that stacked and you know you could eventually get critical ranges that were 15 16 17 he wasn't using those he was using luck stat to determine what a crit range was for every character. It wasn't based on weapon or proficiency. It was just, if you're lucky, you're more likely to get a crit. So you might crit on an 18, 19, or 20 versus something else. Uh, so in that regard, Caleb, do you have any thoughts on using it that way? That's certainly interesting. I think if we're talking about house rules, that's certainly a little bit more labor-intensive. Uh, it, it almost feels like that house rule is kind of rewriting some of the core rules at that point. Now, that's certainly fine. I mean, that's our privilege as a player of the game as and as the DM, that we can rewrite and adjust and put things together. I think something like that, that is a little bit more central to a specific thing, in this case, specifically weapon damage, you really have to look at everything and balance it out so you probably have to do a little bit more work as you're preparing this house rule as to how exactly that's going to function uh, some of the other things we've just been spitballing about here could apply to anything so you can kind of adjust on the fly and you can just kind of storm how it might be used if you're going to make up a house rule that says this applies to this in this way you really have to balance it out and do a lot of investigation and be a little bit more familiar with uh, the crunchier side of the rules. Now, a couple things I was thinking about while we were talking here, your idea of just playing a really lucky character. Good concept, great character for a story or a movie or a video or something, but you're right. If, that, if it's just that one guy who's super lucky, he is going to be the main character of the game. And that might not be as fun for everyone else at the table. Uh, if we're talking about luck being a separate stat or something that uh, is a new thing on the character sheet, a new resource to manage, 
it has to be available to everyone. And if everyone is lucky, then we've immediately lost the I just want to play a really lucky character concept. Now, we could take the idea a step further and have this be something where during character generation you're investing points into, or it's a feat tree or something like that. Not that feat, tree, feat trees really exist totally in 5th edition, but the concept is there. So if you instead focus on being super lucky instead of boosting your other stats or choosing some of your class abilities, that would allow that player who wanted to be just a really lucky guy or girl be able to do that. I mean, maybe instead of making luck a stat or a skill or a resource, we rewrite some of the class features, some of the class path choices that you have typically starting at third level in fifth edition and have it be a lucky fighter or a lucky bard instead of you know, the Eldritch Knight or, or whatever you would choose. So again, a little bit more work, a little bit more thought has to be invested, but it would let you be a lucky version of whatever you're doing. There still would have to be some sort of resource, but again, we're just brainstorming, so it's an idea. Yeah, actually, that probably was um, one of the things, as you were talking, I was thinking uh, that like the, the Battle Master back, uh, or class path in for fifth edition you could just make it lucky or you could change it out and you know you get a, like the bard can give out bardic inspiration they have a couple d6s they give out at a time you could just make them lucky d6s that you keep for yourself i have two d6s i keep for this session and i can use them whenever i want to but 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 that takes the place of some other feature so that it's balanced out so you're getting the flavor of i succeeded because i'm lucky but you're not doing that on top of everything else that you can do, which would make them in some ways more powerful or more effective in the long run. Right, yeah. Uh, at that point, we're talking about how do we balance creating new class features. And there's tons of stuff online, specifically for 5th edition, about homebrewed paths and classes and things like that. So you could certainly do a little bit of research and poke around and see some examples out there. I think my my biggest issue with all this is... What do we really mean when we say I'm a lucky character? Are we are we saying that this person has some sort of power or resource where the the player character can affect probability and alter things in a way that is beneficial or are we simply talking about just chance uh and and how I hate using the term lucky in this definition, but there's really no other word to use here. <laughs> are, are we just talking about happenstance that you have no control over it, but you have a better chance at randomly getting what you want? I mean, let's go over to our our friends at Cthulhu and Friends. Very frequently, V will ask her players to call high or low. And that's in a situation where someone says, hey, do I find a shotgun? Or... Wait, is, is there gas in the car? I mean, that's a lucky thing. Am I lucky enough that there's a gun when I need it? Am I lucky enough that this resource is available to me if I didn't plan for it or role play it out? So essentially, V is saying, give me a 50-50 call. Now, I know you, Michael, when you have us, when we're playing call a high or low, you do it all some convoluted, crazy way that makes sense to you. 
But it's it's called the Michael method. Right. And but it's still the same thing. I mean, you're still basically asking for a, a chance, uh, a one in three chance or a one in two chance that what I am asking for as a player happens. So is that really enough to build a character concept around? I think the answer is no. I'm saying that if you are considering this, I think it's important to consider why you're doing it and what your actions really mean for the game and the characters. No, and and I agree. Uh, Again, this is something where I'm not like I'm doing it, but it's just sort of been on my mind lately. And again, I think the strength of what you and I do in our show, and hopefully our listeners who are still with us agree, is that we don't always come to the table with, hey, we're going to talk about this and this is what we're going to say. We usually just come with things we want to talk about and we just talk through them. And, and, you know, at the end of the conversation, I may have changed my mind. And I think I kind of have here because what I'm thinking now would be fun, which doesn't invalidate our conversation, is that maybe this is something that happens for a small part of an ongoing game. So, you know, your normal character, your fifth level, whatever, and then you do something. Maybe you save uh, a wizard or you save a, a holy man or you help reclaim a shrine that was lost to foul forces. And for like some sort of boon for three days in game terms, you are extremely lucky. And it's just a, a thing that the DM that I just nudge things in your direction. Maybe I don't even tell you that you're lucky. I just every time you do something, you succeed. Like I'll say, make a spot check, they roll a seven, but I still tell you what you saw. Or you make a save and throw and you get a three, but you still pass. And it's something that the players would notice and then it just goes away. And they might be like, that was interesting or that was cool. And then you could do the same thing and maybe they're cursed and they're very unlucky. Uh, or there's even a balance. One character is extremely lucky, one person is extremely unlucky. I could definitely see how that would become fun at the table and interesting if you didn't just say, you're the lucky guy, you're the unlucky guy, but for an entire session, you just kept basically saying as the DM, you succeeded even though your dice sucked and you failed even though your dice were good until they kind of figure it out. That's certainly an interesting story hook, uh, especially if you don't tell them what's going on. Again, that's a lot more work and prep for you behind the DM screen. But if you put those elements there and kind of give them an unstated puzzle to solve as they're playing the game, that could be really interesting, especially if you don't make it obvious what the starting point of that luck or curse was. If it was simply an NPC that you have them interact with, but don't put out in the flashing GM sign hey, this is the wizard who's going to give you a blessing or a curse kind of thing. You just play the conversation out, and based on what happens, maybe you make some secret roles. Who knows? You could do a lot with that. I actually just had another thought. This is this is the Michael method coming out. So you're playing the game. Everything's normal. You guys, as players, run into an NPC who's extremely lucky. So maybe it's the, the typical we're in a tavern. Hey, is there a game of chance? Sure. And then you just role play out, this guy wins every hand. He just cannot lose, and he's super lucky. And if the players bite on that, he tells them, yeah, actually, like three days ago, I was at this little mom-and-pop shrine on the side of the road, and there was this cleric in there, and he blessed me. And I've, I've been lucky ever since. I cannot fail. And so the players decide to check it out. They go up there. Sure enough, there's a guy there, the girl, um, blesses them. They become extremely lucky. They come back to town, find out this guy's dead. 
He was hit by lightning three times. He was bitten by a shark, even though it's a landlocked city. Uh, you know, he got clawed out with a black hat. You know, just obviously cliche on top of cliche. Everything that could have happened unlucky happened to him. And they, they now realize that the luck they have will eventually be offset with unluckiness. Now what do you do? That could be a very fun, like, one session or one part of an ongoing game. Well, there was a uh, Supernatural episode like that where it, early, 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 I want to say season two or three, maybe even season one. Jeez, I'm a bad fan here. Uh, there was a lucky rabbit's foot, and it was kept in a, um, a box that prevented its magic from escaping. It was a warded box. But when you had the lucky rabbit's foot, you were perfect. You could not do anything wrong. Everything went your way. But as soon as you lost the rabbit's foot, you were fucked. I mean, if if anyone remembers, this is the episode with Sam going, I lost my shoe when his shoe fell down a sewer because he'd lost the lucky rabbit's foot. That's a, a minor inconvenience. It kept getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, the catch was the rabbit foot wanted to escape the ownership of whoever had it. It wasn't a sentient item, but the curse was you would get it. You'd benefit from it, and it the magic would create a situation where it was easy to lose. So a cursed item like that is a, another good way to play with this as a story mechanic, not a character mechanic. And right. yeah. honestly, as we've been having this part of the conversation, I'm a lot more excited about it. I think that's a lot more fun. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we got to a point where you could be happy because that's my goal here at the RPG Academy is to make Caleb happy. I don't think that's ever been stated before ever in the years that we've been doing this. So somebody... Nope, and it's not really true either, but hey, whatever. And you're just going to edit right? it out. So, fuck. <laughs> um, Probably. But here's another thing. G going back a step to luck being part of your character as a stat or a mechanic, specifically in, let's say, the D10 Call of Cthulhu system, I'm not an expert in that system, but I believe the way it's typically used is, let's say a player wants to make a check, but doesn't know exactly what check to make. The GM can call for a luck roll to see if the player just gets a feeling as to what he or she needs to do next. Or it could be a stat or a check that mirrors how well you are in tune with the magics around you or the situation that's around you. So in that case, luck is almost more like a skill than a resource to manage or a physical ability. It's more of a how well are you in tune with what's happening around you, with the events of the area. I have to give a shout out to one of our network members, uh, RPG Gamer Dad in his Cthulhu Gaslight actual play. There were several several situations there where the Keeper called for a luck roll and said, oh, you suddenly feel really nauseous and you have a feeling that some occult power is building. Or, oh, you suddenly realize that the person you walked by in that train cabin, something's wrong with them or something is strange in this room. So that's another way to use luck as more of a kind of a gimme to the player, kind of a, oh, you know what? You should have probably noticed this. So a little bit of a deus ex machina, a little bit of a, 
way to give them advice without really giving them advice kind of thing. Again, not my favorite way, uh, but it works in that system. I'm sure there's a way to adapt it into another system. Well, and it's better than the game stopping still also. You know, that that's the thing is if you put a puzzle in your game and if they can't solve the puzzle, they can't open the door. If they can't open the door, the game stops. At some point, you just need to tell them the answer or, you know, otherwise have an NPC do it or they find another clue because just sitting around looking at each other across the table gets awkward pretty quickly and it's not nearly as much fun. So just something to keep in mind, which that's a separate conversation, but don't make a puzzle that only has one solution and it's a complete choke point. There's no other way around it. That's, you know, not the best adventure design strategy in the world. But again, that's a separate topic for another time. And that's some advice that I think you need to listen to yourself there. Shut up! But you're right. And that kind of harkens back to some of our puzzle episodes where we kind of debated, well, how do you give them the answer if they're not getting it? How do you encourage them? How do you give them hints? Do you base it off of the real player knowledge? Do you try to have the PC make an intelligence check to see if they would figure it out? Luck as a stat or a roll could be a way to do that. I mean, you're... you're still basically saying, okay, make a roll, I'm giving you information. But saying it's luck, I think might appeal to the player a little bit more. Now, I might be totally off base there, so I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but if I was playing a game and I was stuck at a puzzle and the GM, after a couple minutes or half an hour, just rolled his eyes and says, guys, you're missing it, the button's over here, I'm going to feel a little bit cheated. I might not have as much fun. But if after a little bit of time, he makes a luck roll and says, oh, you know what? You guys have been walking in circles trying to figure this thing out. And suddenly your cleric trips over this trip switch that no one has noticed because no one can make those damn perception checks. <laughs> it, it fits a little bit better. It, it, it's not the right solution, but it's not a wrong solution either. We're just brainstorming. It's just an idea. No, Yeah, actually, I do like that. Okay. But I think we probably explored this topic enough for now. Uh, I'll throw it back again to the audience. I'd like to hear from you guys, either thoughts that you got while we were having our conversation or examples you've used and played before, good or bad. Uh, And again, maybe some games that we haven't heard of or didn't talk about that use that. And because I love putting Caleb on the spot, We are going to now move into our newest segment of the show, which at this moment, Caleb has never even heard of. And I don't have a name for it yet, but this is what I want to do, because we've talked many times about how backgrounds are really cool in 5th edition and how they are a great roleplay aid. But we really haven't talked about them in depth or maybe given some advice on how to use them. So what I think would be fun is we are going to take each background one at a time And we were both going to come up with a way that we could use that background to be interesting or fun for a character. Uh, Since Caleb has no idea what's going on, I will go first and uh, give him an idea of what I'm looking for. Though, again, you can feel free to put your own own twist on it. But the first background in the the player's handbook is the Acolyte. And basically, this is uh, someone who spent their life in the service of a temple to a specific god or pantheon. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing reading. You act as an intermarry between the realm of the holy and the mortal realm. Uh, you choose a pantheon of gods or some other quasi-divine being, and you basically list them as your patron god. 
So it's very typical for me is I like to try to take things and twist them. And I think for most people and almost all the backgrounds sort of have almost like an implied class that it goes well with or an applied race class combination. And the alkalite, obviously paladin or cleric make great sense. And there's nothing absolutely wrong with picking the alkalite background for the paladin or cleric. But my idea would be to take it for the fighter. And then you have a, an interesting conflict here. You have a warrior that is dedicated to a church, but they don't have spellcasting abilities. They don't have any divine abilities that allow them to really sort of empower themselves through with, with divine power. And I started thinking, well, what if they wanted to be a cleric and they, or they wanted to be a paladin and they never understood why they weren't chosen? So like, they sort of like there's an assumption that they are a paladin, but they have not yet been granted that divine power and they don't understand why. And it could be uh, it could be like a, a story of the fallen that after so long, they never get that power and that actually turns them against their God and they become like an anti-paladin or a blackguard paladin at some future point um, against their own God. But I just really like the idea of that person that's searching for an answer that's just outside their grasp. They're a martial character, they're great at fighting, and they want to be able to heal and they want to be able to smite but they're never given that power. And I could see that being a very interesting role play situation, whether you decide to go bitter and they're upset or they're just like, no, I'm, I'm still doing my God's work. They have chosen not to give me this power. I assume they know what they're doing. I don't need it. Someone else does. But I just like that sort of conflict of what you want to do, what makes sense and what you're actually doing. So first of all, any thoughts on that background class combination? And then I'll give you a chance to present your own. Okay, so uh, I think mixing a fighter or any melee-focused class with the Acolyte background, um, I immediately jump to, okay, so this is a person who is part of the church but chose to or was told to, for whatever reason, focus on martial skills. So the easy answer is you were a temple guard. You're part of the church, but you're not a priest. You know religious things. You have a religious background. You've studied. That's how you pick up the religion skill or whatever in whatever system you're using. But you are still a fighter. Now, that can, that can open up a very classic, tropey story where you are supposed to protect the clerics, and the cleric gets sent on a mission, and you tag along. Or uh, it's your job just to be the temple guardian, and when something gets stolen, you have to research it and figure it out. If you were, this is a little bit off topic here, but let's say you were a rogue with the acolyte background. Maybe you are a church-sanctioned treasure hunter, or artifact uh, recoverer, essentially a, a church-backed Indiana Jones. Maybe you're an adventurer instead of the more stabby rogue. You're the researchy, findy things rogue. The, the dungeon delver, the trap finder. Again, you're part of the church, you have the knowledge, but you're very focused in what your task is. Um, I, I think those are pretty easy to figure out and work into your story. It doesn't take away from anything, and it gives you a good background. It's potentially how you want to connect with the rest of your party. I mean, let's say your party wanted to play a, um, a bunch of divine-related 
classes. So you have a paladin, you've got maybe a druid who is arguably more of a, uh, is more related to the pantheon, the nature. Um, you have a couple clerics. Maybe you even have a bard who, instead of being, you know, the classic storytelling bard, is more of an evangelist, like a preacher. If you really want to play a fighter or a rogue or a barbarian, or you feel like you need to to balance the party, what do you want to be? Do you want to just be, well, I'm a fighter, and uh, I happen to know these guys, and I'm tagging along for the hell of it. Or I'm a mercenary, and they hired me because I know what I'm doing. Sure, there's nothing wrong with that, but you can also say, well, I'm the temple guard. I'm, I'm the captain of the temple guard, or I've been training with the temple guard, or that's why I'm on this mission, because I, I grew up in the church, but I'm a fighter. I, I know the church exists, and I worship the deity, but... I'm the muscle. I'm the door guard. Now, that's totally fine. That's a good way to link your party. Now, going back to your much, much deeper idea of, uh, of story elements in this, in this odd way of, of linking uh, background and class choice, uh, I think that makes for a really, really good, deep role-playing story. And obviously, the player has to be willing to do it really willing to get into the role playing and you as a GM have to be really willing to give them those rich story moments. So you really need to play a game where either everyone is doing that type of story or everyone understands that the one person gets those focused hooks and they might have to fade in the background a little bit. And that really depends on your skill as a GM, their skill as players, and everyone's willingness to work with each other in those moments. When you started talking about this idea, the first thing that jumped into my head was actually way, way, way back uh, to the Maid Men episodes with Nico's character, Grexel, where he was pretending to be a wizard. And that was obviously played for laughs and kind of funny, but that concept of okay, I'm going to say I cast Magic Missile, but I just pick up a rock and throw it. That That's kind of what we're talking about here. So you're a very, very loose example, but if I was a fighter and I had the Acolyte background because I was struggling to become a Paladin and I wasn't a Paladin, depending on how we play the game, I might think I'm a Paladin. Maybe I thought I was chosen, or my father was a paladin, and he died and passed on his legacy, and I'm trying to learn how to do it. So I'm trying to learn how to smite. I'm going to say I try to smite in game, but as a player, I know I don't have that class skill. So what am I doing as my character tries to smite? Am I taking a second to try to line up a better attack? Uh, am I using some other class ability, but I think it's smite, or I'm trying to use it as smite? I mean, there's a lot of really deep questions here. Uh, you could even go the route of a character who thinks he legitimately is a paladin, but totally isn't, and is doing things claiming that they are holy, but they're not. And whether he's misguided or he's just trying to deceive people, there's so many ways the story can go here. Well, I'm going to step in there for a second, because... I somewhat disagree with you uh, about how some of the other characters would have to take a step back in a way, because depending on the character, the makeup of the party, you could actually have some very interesting interaction there. So let's say that you and I are both the 
uh, you're the fighter, I'm the cleric, we, we worship the same God, and you are bitter to a point that you have never been granted these powers. Well, I have them. Mm. I don't want to rub it in your face. So how do I deal with that when someone's wounded? I go over there and heal them, but I look over my shoulder and I see you looking at me somewhat angry. I mean, you're, you're happy that I'm healing, but there's a sort of a disappointment in your eyes. You could get some very deep and dramatic, possibly melodramatic, uh, role-playing elements by, by having the characters interact with each other. Or if we're different religions, I could tell you, you know, maybe you should consider coming to my faith. Perhaps my God would grant you those powers. I don't know why your God isn't. You seem worthy. I've been traveling with you. You've been nothing but an upstanding person, a good person at heart. So you could have some evangelism going on and, and trying to get them to switch religions. So I, I don't know that they would have to take a step back, but you're right. Everyone has to be on board. Everyone has to agree. This is a part of the story. We all know about it, and we're all going to try to bring it out in some way with our different characters and how he how this character interacts with us. Are you muted? No, I just I didn't have anything else to say because I agreed with you. <laughs> okay, I couldn't tell if you were like talking and I couldn't hear it, or if you were just like thinking through things with some gestures. So we kind of covered that a little bit more in depth than I planned, which I thought was great. So do you want to just kind of leave that there, and maybe each time we pick one and we both go back and forth? Because you did talk about playing a rogue as an alkalite as well, or do you want to go ahead and pick a, a different uh, class for their alkalite and see if you can come up with an interesting background combination? Uh, no, I, I think one at a time is a pretty good way to introduce this new segment. So our next background is charlatan. The obvious one there is probably the bard, and then secondarily rogue. And again, I'm not saying that you can't use that one, but just be thinking maybe of a different way or a more interesting or of a bit of a twist for our next episode, we will cover the charlatan. And as always, we'll throw it out to our listeners. We would love to hear from you guys on how you think you could do an interesting alkalite. What, what race class combination with alkalite do you think would be fun or you've used in the past and maybe challenge us. If you want us to come up with a tiefling warlock alkalite, then say, hey, that's what I want you guys to talk about. And then we'll make sure that we cover that one uh, in a future show as well. So I believe that is all of the things that we wanted to talk about, uh, except for actually, we still have to do our review. And then we wanted to talk a little bit about GM Loot. Uh, they are sponsoring this episode and we wanted to talk a little bit about that. So essentially what happened is they contacted us and said, hey, would you like a free month of our service? And we said, yes. <laughs> so they sent Caleb and I a free month's worth of their service to sort of try out. And uh, after we had that service for a month, we felt um, that this is something that we would not mind uh, talking about on our show. Uh, so they decided to sponsor us. And basically the way that's going to work is if you sign up for a subscription service of GM Loot through our website, and we will have a, a link in the show notes uh, for this episode, and there'll eventually be an affiliate link, then we get a percentage of what you spend. So there is a, a benefit for us if you go through our links. Uh, but we wanted to talk about the service to let you guys know our thoughts because it was good, but there were a couple things too that we want you guys to know about. Uh, so the first thing that I'll say, uh, they did change the price uh, from the point that we got our free subscription uh, it, for a month. And now they got some feedback and they've actually changed their service a little bit. It's now cheaper. Uh, so it's $29.99 a month is the cheapest version of the one month subscription. It used to be 39. 
and there's still a $5 shipping fee. So even though you're paying $29.99, there's still an additional $5 for shipping. Obviously, if you can afford to do like a year long subscription, it's a little bit cheaper because you're paying in advance, but you still have the $5 a month shipping you have to pay as well. So that's obviously something that you guys wanna keep in mind. They also have three different packages now. You can go indie, which is you're gonna get some different indie game, basically smaller press, a little bit outside the norm every month. You can go Savage World, so you're gonna get something that's Pinnacle Entertainment or otherwise connected to the Savage World game system. And then they have one for Fate. You're always gonna get something that falls into those three based on what you pick. They, they guarantee that the value that you would get out of each month is at least, I think it was around $50. I don't wanna quote that exactly, but they're guaranteeing that what you get through your subscription is worth more than what you would pay if you, or it's less than what you would pay if you went and bought the thing yourself um, on your own. Uh, so for our month, we got a game called Nova Praxis, which is for Savage Worlds. And then we also got a deck of cards that goes with it. And uh, and then I'll, I'll finish up here and I'll let Caleb go. So for me, what I would say is that this is nothing that I ever would have bought myself. Like if I was going to go to drive through RPG and I was going to buy me something, this probably never would have come up. Having said that, now that I have it, it's really sweet. Like it's a really cool game. I really like some of the ideas behind it. It's, it's Savage Worlds, but it's, um, they've made a lot of changes to make it very complex. It's a lot crunchier of a version. The setting behind it is, is really interesting and deep and, um, it, it's full of, you know, room to explore some interesting stories the deck of cards is really sweet. So I like that too. So I'm really happy that I have it, but it's nothing that I would have bought myself, which I think is exactly the, the, the niche that these loot services provide is that you're going to get something cool every month. It may not be something you necessarily would have bought yourself, but it's going to be something that you can probably use. It's probably going to be kind of fun. So that was kind of my take on it. Caleb, what did you think of your month of uh, GM loot? Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and take a step backwards and explain what GM loot is, even though you all (laughs) figured it out from what's Michael was saying, and it kind of gives it away by the name. Uh, GM Loot is a monthly subscription service, which is just like every other um, monthly loot-type subscription service that's really trendy right now. You can subscribe uh, a month at a time. You can buy several month or a year packages with one upfront cost. Uh, You will get a package every month from these guys, uh, and it is something that you as a GM can use in your game. Typically, it's going to be some sort of source book, maybe for a brand new game, maybe for a game you already know how to play. But it, it's a it's something new. It's something surprising uh, that's going to be delivered to you. And you can have that uh, Christmas morning joy of opening the box and seeing what's in there. Pretty much, uh, from what I understand, everything they send to you is printed from RPG. So they are picking something randomly, getting it printed, and mailing it out to everybody that has a subscription. It used to be that they would just pick something randomly, and then over the past couple weeks here, as we've been chatting with them, they have refined the product. And I think this is a, a really good move for them, where, as Michael was saying, you can pick a category. You can pick something indie, so it's not going to be a game from a major press, a little bit more random there. Or you could be you could pick something that fits into Savage Worlds or Fate Core. So if you pick two of the latter options, you know at least in general what you're going to be getting and what rules to use. Uh, so that might be more helpful to you. Um, I think the best part of it, as Michael was saying, 
you're going to get something that you probably wouldn't have purchased on your own. And that is, to me, the best part of this system. It's something random. It's something that might inspire you to play a brand new game. It's something that might inspire you to add into the game you're playing or running now. It might inspire a one-shot. It might inspire just a new twist on the story you're working. <sighs> Let's be honest. As, as guys that run games, eventually you get a little burnt out, and you run out of ideas. And at that point, where you're, you have to do something to figure out the next session. Uh, whether you do a synergy session with a pack of magic cards, like Michael and I do, uh, whether you pull from a movie or a video game or a book, or whether you get a random book in the mail and pull some inspiration from that, it's helpful no matter what you do. It's a fresh take. It's a fresh idea. It's something to get those creative gears turning again. So that being said, uh, GM Loot is a pretty cool product. It's something fun to get every month. It's going to be something you can use at your table, either directly or indirectly. The only point of caution I will give to uh, you listeners, and this is something you already know, this is a monthly subscription service. So you either pay a big chunk up front or you pay every single month at a time. So that's just something to be aware of that you could potentially uh, be incurring a monthly charge, something that's going to hit your credit card or bank account at the start of every month. So if you want to try it, just be aware of that. Common sense. Don't let it go accidentally if you don't want it to. But if you let it go accidentally, you're just going to keep getting some really cool books every month. So at least there's a benefit. So there's an upside to the downside. Exactly. Nice. Awesome. Well, regardless, almost said irregardless, regardless, uh, we appreciate GM Loot sponsoring this episode. We hope you guys will at least check out their website and see if this is something you would want to sign up for. If you do, please use our link so that we will get credit for your subscription. If you don't like it, you can cancel. That's uh, It doesn't affect us as far as uh, our relationship. Now, if this starts happening all the time, like a bunch of people sign up for one month and then they cancel, then it might affect our relationship. So don't do that just as a way to help us out. But if you're interested in checking it out, I certainly encourage you to do it at least for one month. See what you think. See if you like it. And hopefully this is something that you guys will find some use in. But we are going to move on to the end of our program for tonight, and that is where Caleb is going to not awkwardly read some new five-star reviews from iTunes. Alrighty, all the pressure's on me right now. So we have uh, three new five-star reviews to read since the last time we were able to do this. Uh, as always, I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who has taken the time to write a review and giving us a rating. You've heard this on every show, every other podcast in the world, but ratings on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're using to listen to us, um, ratings are super, super, super helpful. They're free. They're cheap to you to give us some kickback. It takes two seconds. Just do it. Ratings push us up uh, the rankings. So the more ratings we have, the easier it is for people to find us when they're doing a random search through the uh, subscription database. Um, reviews don't necessarily move us up the ranking, but they certainly are a way for people who may not know what we are to get a better standing of what we are through your words as listeners, not just our show notes or our, or our website. So we absolutely appreciate the time you guys take uh, when you're leaving us these ratings and reviews. Please keep doing it. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, Please do, because it means a lot. It really, really does mean a lot. Um, so let's get down to work here. Our first new review to read is from our friends over at the Sharkbone Podcast. 
I hate to read this title, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, this review from Sharkbone is titled, unfortunately, What is this? Uh, this is a... <gasps> what is oh, this? Oh, God, I hate you so much. Uh, this is a great podcast full of laughs, dice, and excellent stories, <laughs> just like a tabletop game should be. There's always something new to listen to, and everyone who shows up on the show has something to add of value. The show has quite a few different formulas, formats, sorry, Devin. This show has quite a few different formats to scratch your gaming and game discussion itches. For all your other itches, please see a healthcare professional. So that was from Devin over at Sharkbone, who are members of the RPG Academy Network. So swing over to them, give them a subscribe, a download, and a couple ratings as well. Uh, our next review is from one of our friends from the Twitter universe, James Baum. He titles the review, Great Guys Make Awesome Shows. These guys are great and make an awesome show about tabletop gaming. The table topics episodes are great, the actual plays are even better, and it's a must-listen to. Whenever the new episodes hit, you won't be disappointed. Thank you so much for that, James. And our last new review is from Lex Starwalker, uh, whose voice you will remember from our Numenera actual play, which I really, really did love. Lex titles this review, Everything You Need in an RPG Podcast. This podcast has it all, a combination of actual play episodes and episodes with discussion about RPGs. In addition to numerous D&D campaigns, the guys also play and test drive a variety of systems, giving the listeners a great overview of new systems, awesome production, and content. Thank you for those kind words, Lex, and thank you again for running that stellar Numenera game for us. Uh, those are the only three new reviews out there as of this point in time. So if you have a second, if you haven't done it already, throw us a rating and a review, and we will get yours read on the air. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. 
You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.